Okay, well, it's, so a, I, it's recording anyway. Uh, until he comes back, I can't get that working. Um, yeah, okay. Oh, I just... Oh, my, audio hijack, they update it so much. It's just... Um, I'm not going to update it, but I just like another update. Amazing. I don't know what they update, but... So, yesterday... <sighs> but can, I, can I share my screen? Oh, I can. Yeah, I, I prepped that yeah. in advance. <laughs> yesterday, I was looking on Google, right, for an image for a point line plane, you know, oh, like yeah, the Bauhaus yeah. principles, right? So I went on to Google in the morning um, and I was like, tab point line plane design. Yeah. Uh, and then went to images and I, I was looking down the images and thought, oh, that one's good. And so I clicked on it and then I was like, oh, I think I made that actually. <laughs> and then when I clicked on this, to go and see where it was i was like holy shit did i tell you this this no. is all stolen 100 huh? like i made all of this i didn't make this image actually i don't quite know why that picture is in there to be honest with you um but all of this i mean even that i made for smashing magazine in their smashing mag colors and this is just like part two of the article to be posted later based on and I'm like, it's not based on, it's like 100% lost <laughs> talk and barrel stolen from, I don't know what the hell, from 2018. So uh, who, wrote, who wrote that then? Can you tell? I have no idea. I looked at it yesterday, web creator. Maybe it's just, maybe it just scrapes data from other sites and just pulls it into a... I think what they do or whoever it is, it's this menu, so about us. Digital development team designing, engaging, and easy to use websites and apps. We work smart to make your startup perfect. Do you think it's all these people? <laughs> I don't know. They're all like Russian, right? Look, Filatov, Medvedev, Gerasimov. Yeah, Almost looks made up. Yeah, but I mean, that thing is, is like 100% stolen from uh from my article weird um, smashing and i even think it's called universal principles of ux user experience design um like there is my picture yeah. of the olympics and there is that picture i made is it the same copy is it the same copy i just think it's scraping stuff out yeah <laughs> ux might be a relatively young discipline right um where are we UX might be a relatively yeah. young discipline. It's the same, yeah. Yeah, okay. So, so whether if, if that's if they're even real, who knows? But they um, have clearly built what looks like a brand by scraping content from other sources. Weird. Weird. It's really weird. Um, and they haven't done the case studies, right? Um, it's really odd. Anyway, mm. it's bonkers. Um, I don't know if you saw earlier, but I put into the um, the Slack, right? Um, just, just this probably won't go in the podcast, but just so you get. Don't make me edit. Oh. Well, okay. Well, we can edit it then. Um, so if I go WS, we don't need to edit it. We just leave it in because it's an interesting conversation piece. So you know Leo, one of your students. Yep. I'm sure I can mention her name. I'm sure that's okay. Basically, what I did was I said, okay, let's look at section one. Right. You know, what is the objectives about and what is the business about? And then I, I, I just asked her questions and then I wrote things down. And at the beginning of each section, I, I wrote, you know, in this section, I'm going to dive deeper into the personnel um, and look at like how we're managing the team. Right. 
And then the market, I was like, this is a good place to get some some uh, citation in, some quotes and that kind of stuff. And then I went over to Google and I searched for games funding and all of that kind of stuff and said, here's a good one, here's a good one, here's a good one. And then I looked back at the Wild Wild Animals and saw a chart and said, okay, a chart would be good. And there's a chart over here. So we might, and honestly, I wouldn't have thought that that would be that helpful, but they found that really helpful. They yeah. all were on the chat saying, thank you so much. That was that was so, now we know what we've got to do. And it's really interesting to me because you can say to students till you're blue in the face that it's, you know, take the five headings and choose two headings and then just write about them. And I think that what happens is that in their mind, they think it must be more complicated than this. Yeah. You know, and you're like, no, 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 it's really simple, you know. And they were like, oh, right, okay. And I was like, yeah, obviously, you know. Uh, If we're going to quote this statistic, which looks really good, then let's quote that and reference this. And, you know, and they were all like, this was brilliant. I was like, it was was quite simple, you know. I think the complicated part with a lot of that stuff, actually, is it's the crafting and the editing, isn't it, actually, and turning into something, because that's what I'm finding as I'm trying to write out write yeah. out my phd i've got loads of words all over the place and i have a stab at it but actually it's not until i well not until i print the thing out and start reading it and then editing that it's starting to make sense but it's like yeah. that's the thing like i can put stuff under headers which i've got mm-hmm. but of course that's not the hard work is it finding the stuff it's crafting that story and that sort of that that navigation through it. even if it's a business portfolio it still has to keep you engaged and so it has to flow and all that kind of stuff The other thing I would say is there's a real problem with the terminology business portfolio. Perhaps it's a games thing and I'm not aware of it because to me, when I started, I said, look, I probably would call this an essay actually, Uh, you know, because it's to me, when I hear the word portfolio, what comes up in my head is a portfolio. I know, I know. (laughs) Um, I don't think it's a games term, but it was a term. I can't remember whether Chris or Ashok came up with that term, but it was, it's got a, it's a known term in, you know, whether you want to take it to a, a bank or wherever or something, you know, it's kind of, it, it is a known term, but I think it probably okay. comes from um, business management or design management. I probably would suggest that, you know, and I wrote to James at this morning or this afternoon, I've lost track of where we are and said, you know, I probably would suggest that if I'm involved next year, I would start in week one with that. <laughs> I would say, yeah. okay, here's the, here's the sections um, and I'm going to do it for three different people so that you get three different. I did it for Leo and I did it for Kai because sure. uh, he was struggling a wee bit. Um, and, you know, I, and then I said, OK, you're going to have to change all of this and you're going to have to write it in your own words, you know, because <laughs> obviously I'm not doing your your piece of writing for you. But I think they just found that much easier to grasp. And I think that that will get them started, whereas yeah, a lot of them were worried and didn't want to start because they didn't really know what they were doing. Um, and I think just, just you know, Vitaly has said this before about Smashing Magazine, that they're moving in the direction of doing a lot of live stuff where someone is working and explaining what they're doing while they're working. And the feedback that they've got from their workshops is that's incredibly helpful hmm. because they're getting a chance to see something, but in context, yeah. you know. So, for example, this morning, do you know, have you heard of Design Tokens? don't think so uh, design tokens is really interesting so if i open up my whoopsies that's the wrong thing um so the the first 
I'll get rid of that actually. Um, the first, uh, get rid of that. I love the, the fact that our podcast includes tons of you sharing a screen. <laughs> <laughs> well, the second module is all about building a vocabulary, right? And so we go through point, line, plane, uh, which is Bauhaus. And then yep. we do words and typography. And this is, what is this um, for? This is your... This is for my user interface course. Okay. Um, then we go words and typography. And what I've added there is words because words has always been something I talk about, but it's not really been something I would have taught at this point. Uh, but I'm actually starting to think, look, if we're introducing user interface design, we should be talking about fundamentals of visual communication, like point, line, plane, volume, these kinds of things. But we should also... And we should talk about typography because obviously typography is important, but we should talk about the words as well, um, you know, in the sense that words can be in a really important part of an interface and written badly, yeah. they can really mess up an interface. And quite a lot of interfaces don't really have that many words on them. So the words you choose are important. So I've introduced that. And then uh, once you've done all of that and color, so you've got your you're building blocks of stuff, right? Mm -hmm. The next thing I'm talking about is the master apprentice model, which is like, now you understand that context, you can now go and look at. Um, so for example, you can go and look um, at, uh, I've done some examples here. So I kind of go into the history of the master apprentice model. And then I talk about the way I learn is by copying mm -hmm. other people's things. What I tend to do is take stuff out of my sketchbook and move it to a new domain. So it's coming from the physical world and going into the digital world. And then I explain that like things are, all of these things are made of other things and they're actually quite simple. Um, and what I'm doing just now is, is this afternoon in the car park was like, think about the underlying structure. Um, so that might look complicated, but it's really just some boxes. So unpick, you know? yeah, yeah. So you're unpicking an existing... Yeah, and then I then then I got some homework, which is based upon what I used to teach at Belfast School of Art, which is like first thing we're going to do is some icons, second thing we're going to do is like some illustrations of cities, and the third thing we're going to do is bring it together in a little um, design. Um, and then I'm showing examples of my students who this is by Roji and this is by Martine, mm -hmm. you know. And all, Roji sent us this video explaining how to do the textures and stuff. It was amazing. Oh, wow. So that that. It, the, that was taking me to the the uh, design tokens. So yeah. at the end of that, once you've done uh, once you've done um, once you've done some of this, right, and you understand that like a button is like a component, yeah, yeah and it's made up, and that there things. are there are colors involved, and there are typefaces involved, and there's weights of line and that kind of stuff. Then I go into um, design systems yeah. and talk yeah. about design systems. And then hopefully this will have uploaded to the internet because I took these screenshots this morning. What? You took some screenshots? I Yeah. Unbelievable, right? Um, I watched this talk um, by Salesforce. It's actually by Gina Bolton and another guy whose name I can't remember. And they were talking about design systems, but they were, they were also talking about design tokens, which was new to me until about a week ago. And they talked about, have you heard of this term red lines? No. I'd never heard of this before. Um, this was kind of like, you know, designer is uh, giving a red line to a developer and it's got all of this detail on it. So for example, these are the spaces. These are the exact spaces that we're looking for. 
kind of thing, you know, and this, this icon here is 32 pixels and the space here is eight pixels and we want to use that space all the way around. Um, and it's all really interesting. And then what they talk about is the, the gap between the design system and what's shipped, right? And at that point, they talk about the fact that maybe you don't have the documentation to hand. So you use an eyedropper tool and you find a blue and you change it to a hex value. And then you end up with these, these creeping um, inconsistencies, right? So someone's, you've designed, our corporate blue is, let's say, you know, uh, hex CC3300. That's actually red, but that, that's the corporate red. Yeah, yeah. CC3300. And then you use an eyedropper and you pick a color and it becomes CC3304. And then someone else is CC3206. And, you know, over time, that all Does that expands. actually happen, though? Do, is that, do they say that that actually happens? Yeah, wait, wait till you see the next slide, right? But the uh, eyedropper should be spot on, shouldn't it? Well, the next slide is like, these are the kinds of variety of things that are being built, right? But wait till you see this slide. Um, mm. Over time these font sizes start to creep in. So it's like, you know, someone's, well, for starters, some people are using PICs, PX, some people are using M's, uh, some people are using REMs, which is a relative value. Yeah, yeah. Some people are using percentages and like everyone's doing their own thing. And so to me, I, I saw this and thought, wow, 73 unique font sizes. We probably need six max, yeah, you know, five or six. Yeah. But where yeah. do you see the next slide? Oh, damn, I didn't take a screen. This one. <laughs> look at that i just looked at it and thought i could see how that would happen you know there are probably because i'm going to redraw this slide there are probably i would say on this slide there are 106 letter a capital a and lowercase a if you're listening to the podcast and there's red green blue yellow and you know there's a variety of colors but there are probably a hundred and hundred out of the 106 are shades of gray this <laughs> is like you know the actual and so design tokens are like numeric values stored for everything okay Uh, hang on so what's the lightning design system oh that's salesforce's design system they use this thing called lightning so all of salesforce's stuff whether it's desktop mobile watch whatever is all coming out of this design system and the design system thing is really important because you know, it keeps everything consistent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah uh, I mean, I've got a few books on design systems and whatever. And Yeah, if you're starting out listening to this podcast and you're starting out, Ala Kolmatova's book on design systems on Smashing Magazine is amazing. I mean, my copy of that book is literally full of post-it notes. It's very, very good. But design tokens takes this a little step further. So I'll show you because one of my... Um, one of my school of design people, Jan, who I think you've maybe met in the school of design, he made this um, presentation for me, Design Tokens 101. So you have a token and that goes into a component. And, I, and I've got the system in the user interface course I'm teaching where we have objects, which is like a point, a line, a plane, uh, a word, some typography, some color, these are kind of object type things that we put together to create components. And a component might be like a button or a toggle or, you know, they're like the smallest elements of it. What makes this different to Brad Frost's atomic design? Because doesn't he start? It's it's great that you mentioned that because I mentioned Brad's system in the book. 
uh, stroke course, because I think Brad really hit on something. The problem I have with it is he uses some terms from, uh, I'm going to, you're going to have to give me a second here while I go to the chapter. Yeah, I'm going to look for another book as well that I've got, but it's at home, I think. I think this is in the second chapter. So if I load this and look for Brad, here we go. So my naming is object component pattern page flow. And as you're getting up, they're getting more complicated. And so Brad Frost's atomic design is um, atoms and molecules. That's from the world of chemistry. And then organisms, which is from the world of biology. And my problem is I'm not that au fait with, um, you know, chemistry. So I'm never sure is an atom smaller than a molecule or is a molecule, you know, it's difficult for me to remember. And the thing is, any naming convention will have that problem. And what I thought was interesting when Alakomatova talked about Future Learn's design system, Mm -hmm. they changed the naming convention that Brad was using because they were all confused. Yeah. What did they end up picking then? Oh, I don't know. We'd have to go to Future Learn, which is uh, an amazing site and well worth taking a look at. So Future Learn. And then if we look for Future Learn Design System, they have core styles, atoms, molecules. Oh, yes, I do remember. Having organisms used to cause confusion in the team. So we removed them. Right. My, My problem with that was that, you know, where am I finding it here? You know, a component, that's a, that's a commonplace term. You know, people talk about components a lot. Um, and that we use design patterns to solve problems over and over again. And the second, the next chapter after this, or the next um, module talks about Christopher Alexander and, you know, the pattern book that he wrote. And if you've read the pattern, a pattern language by Christopher Alexander, you know, this use of the word patterns here is very similar to his use. And he's the first person who started talking about this. You know, he talks about, for example, like um, uh, a fireplace or, uh, you know, he talks about discrete chunks of stuff, you know, where you're trying to solve the problem and heat the room, for example. Um, anyhow, if we go back to this, the the components, um, I probably would change this diagram and I would start with design token then I would do component, but instead of making it some abstract looking shape, I'd make it a button. Okay. Mm-hmm. And then I would say pattern and I would show that button on a thing, right? Like a book review or something. And then I would show it in a page so we could see how it was developing. So that's probably from that talk. Design tokens are a methodology. Um, saying design tokens are just variables is like saying responsive design is just media queries. Um, So design tokens are technology agnostic um, and they allow you to design across platforms and devices with the same stuff, right? With the consistency, right? Um, And so if we look at an example, like here, we might call this um, blue medium, blue light, blue lighter, blue darker, etc. And so button CTA background, okay? That that describes what that is. It's a button, it's a call to action, and it's a background. Or link primary color. That's like a link, it's the primary link, and it's a color for that thing, right? And most of these have um, numeric 
um, equivalents. So for example, a color would be a hexadecimal reference. A button would have, for example, a corner radius. Even if the corner radius was zero, there would still be a number there, right? And the idea is that you make your decisions and then you put together your tokens, which are all the numbers that count in a generator and you create something like say JSON or YAML. You, you holding on? Just about. Um, and then that, that just goes into that, that those numbers just go into the tool that you're using. Does that make sense? Almost. I, I probably need to write a, write a section on it and explain it. But, but the idea is that, you know, your design tokens are happening here and then those are feeding into say, uh, they're being fed into Android using XML. They're being fed into iOS using JSON. Um, they're being fed into CSS or SAS for the web, you know. So these these numbers that are, this is the color for the company, you know, these are the border radiuses that we use, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, are being defined really early in the process. If that makes Go back, sense. what was that slide a minute ago? Oh, sorry, that was what our design tokens. For some reason, it spends ages doing all of that. Um, that no, was on every platform we no, created no, no, files to store variables, holding raw values. That, what's that? Previously, you comb and assess a repository for 2B303B hex code or color neutral 20 applied to different myriad elements, right? Mm -hmm. Now, well, I don't know. I haven't read enough about this at the minute, but now you look, you know, what color to use for primary buttons? That is going to be button, background, primary, color, blue, digital. Yeah. Essentially, it's like a layer on top of design systems where you're putting all of the, the, the numeric stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah. It, it may, one of the problems might be that you're introducing new terminology that's confusing people, but design tokens are definitely very hot right now. I just know from talking to to Jan and a few other people, because Dan Mal is building a tool for this, I think. Super friendly are building a tool for this. Oh, okay. Yeah, I can't remember what it's called because Dan, um, because um, Thingy put it in. Um, oh, no, these, these pictures are probably better, actually. Sorry, got to the best bit of the thing. So there's Figma. Sorry, there's Sketch, there's Figma, yeah, yeah, yeah. and there's XD, yeah. and they are going into this JSON file, right? Yeah, Which yeah, is like, yeah. these are our colors, and they come out the other end as, say, JSON or CSS or whatever, yeah? Um, and then the next page I thought was kind of, yeah, or, or it could be that JSON is coming into those tools as well, right? Um, and Figma apparently has token support, Yeah. So it's like one shared language for designers and developers. Using tokens allows both departments, design and development, to use the same terms when it comes to design decisions, which, which equals tighter collaboration. Go there back. You go. What was the one? Go back. A token well, tokens are semantic, which is very similar to how we would approach, say, um class names in html we wouldn't say red we would say call to action or okay know. so tokens provide semantic meaning to decisions what's the next slide uh, the next slide 
Users of Figma tokens can sync their tokens to a remote storage, allowing the whole team to utilize the same set. Updated content can be pulled and pushed to the remote data source. Um, and this thing here, Arcade, I think is what Dan Mal is building. And that's what it looks like there. Arcade, a fun way to... Uh, my advice to um, Jan at this point was find any term other than fun, because I don't honestly think anybody, unless unless they need to get out more, would describe design tokens in using the words a fun way to create, edit and manage design tokens for enterprise teams. I think a better word would be a seamless or a, you know, a, a yes. less rating or, you know. An integrated or something. Yeah, something like that, but not the word fun. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. Less so this is just about this is about an underlying data structure for design consistency across multiple platforms. Yes. Design and development. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And so for me, talking to Jan on which makes sense because I mean to be honest, it makes sense. Like in the term, I think some of that terminology is really confusing. And uh, and oh, again, get... terminology that design tokens or just the way that this sort of just the way that that's packaged up. I'm starting to you know I think it's simpler than that. It's like. Uh, the thing with a design system, so the way that and the other book that I've got is Laying the Foundations, which is quite a cool book on design systems. But let me just get to the. Yeah, can you change me and, and show it to me? It's Andrew Coldwell. You've probably seen it. Well, there's no point showing no. you because I'm not going to refer to it more than. Yeah, just totally show it to me and then I'll describe it for the listeners. <laughs> <laughs> no, okay. So what I'm thinking here, right? Okay. So. Um, it's really interesting. I mean, I've been thinking a lot about... Uh, Where is this book? I can't see no, it. I'm not going to show you the book because the book doesn't matter. <laughs> What's it called? Is it Andrew Coldwell? Yeah, Laying the Foundations. It's another design systems book. And he has another model where he talks about foundation components and patterns. Anyway. Oh, he works at gov.uk. Uh, yeah, I don't know whether he still does, I don't know. But anyway, he's... Oh, no, maybe Coldwell. not. Because <laughs> this says, taking on the role of interim head of defence. So yeah, that's the wrong person. <laughs> maybe, he's not, maybe he's not that person. Uh, oh, where is it? Anyway, like, you... okay, let me finish my thought while you just Google. Yeah. Right? So, okay, so the, the this is the thing that's super interesting about this, and this is the I think for me the, what I find interesting is this idea of of movement between mediums of processes and terminology, um, and as we know, we talked about this before that, that um, like architect have like uh there's there's like the, we talked about this before about there being like um surgeons i think we talked about it having like a code of conduct yeah uh, yeah yeah and the did we not talk don't. about that in the last episode i can't remember and designers think, don't right so that's no no, no no i think what happened just for context for the listeners yeah, yeah, i think yeah. what happened was last week we we didn't get together because you had just done an open day and you were tired yeah, uh, yeah, um, yeah. not surprisingly um and so Rather than not meet, we did meet and have a chat. And we talked about Mike Montero. Oh, yes. At some point. That's it. So that's where it comes from. So we talked about and, that. And then work. I finished and thought, OK, um, although we didn't record it, I thought, OK, where in where, where in BBUIs, Building Beautiful User Interfaces, does ethics go? Where does that oh, go? Oh, yeah, yeah. And so some people might think, well, it doesn't need to, but I'm thinking it's kind of important, I think. Well, but I think this comes back to this idea of, he talks about a code of, like, you know, code of conduct or whatever anyway. Yeah. But the idea is that you've got a set of shared principles. Mm -hmm. And so that might help with terminology and all that kind of stuff. And there's been lots of, like, 
you know, and even the translation of terminology, this comes from like the paper-based design to like web design. You know, they didn't move the same terminology. Le you know, leading became something else, line height right. or whatever. You know, and it's just like, uh, what, you know, and even now the grids are called tracks and things. It's just like, like so. There's all this confused terminology, and then so then if you also take like so so if we're talking about design systems. To some degree, they're an evolution of brand guidelines. Not yeah. much, not much of an evolution, but they are. To, you know, but they're the same. They're quite. I would almost argue they're the same thing, right? Yeah. Uh, th th this is a this is a, a problem. Uh, yeah. You know, uh, and so, for example, like earlier on today, I was looking at something, and someone was talking about style guides, and I, for me, I was getting really confused between like, okay, what's brand guidelines? What's style guides? What's a design token system? What's a design system? There's an awful lot of terms that are floating around, and no one is. Yeah. No one's really fundamentally defining them, you know, or, yeah. or, and I'm as guilty as this as everybody else, because someone has spent, you know, for example, I mean, I'll tell you that the objects, components, patterns, pages, flows, I spent probably a year thinking about that. You know, when I was out smoking, I was thinking, yeah, that would work there. Oh, no, this wouldn't work there. And then I had to change my names because they didn't work. Or uh, Sketch used to call symbols, used yeah. to have symbols. And then I was like, oh, shit. And then Adobe XD, who was my client, changed to use components. And I was like, yo, notch one up for a win there. But the problem is that different people are using different things. Yeah. And so I imagine that Brad Frost probably was also jamming on his drums and thinking organisms. And, and so in, so in, I will now talk about Andrew's book because it does yeah. connect now. So in that book, he talks about, he says in the previous chapter, I talk about laying strong foundations for digital products at a company by establishing digital brand guidelines. He then says, with those foundations in place, we're ready to start building an on-brand design system that combines our brand and digital guidelines with the user and business needs. So he sees them as the system combines the brand and digital guidelines together, which I think is quite a nice way of putting it, right? Okay, he, and what, what was the next thing that he said? Uh, You'd start with the digital brand guidelines. Yeah, so from the previous chapter about laying strong foundations for mm -hmm. digital products at a company by establishing digital brand guidelines, yeah. with those foundations in place, we're ready to start building an on-brand design system okay. that combines our brand and digital guidelines with the user and business needs. Okay, so the, the digital brand guidelines informs the on-brand design system. Yeah, We can just get rid of the word on-brand because everyone's using design system and on-brand's just an adjective in that sense. It right? is, yes, yes, yes. And so he then... So goes... at, above the design system are the brand guidelines. And yeah. that's where that should sit because those things should be like the top level. And they will inform the print stuff over here and the digital stuff over here. And there probably will be a difference between the web digital stuff and the native digital product digital stuff, and then the printed stuff, right? Yeah. There's yeah. a variety of different outcomes. And he then talks about that he got he was working at a big design led, you know, he was a design system lead, a large company. Uh, and while researching a design system model and terminology, I was confused by the many terms and jargon I found to describe yeah. a breakdown of design system. So he so then, he then, breakdown. <laughs> He then like creates his own, which is like the fact he calls the foundations model, which is foundations, components and patterns. <laughs> um, what was it called? Foundations. It's called the foundations model. 
Uh -huh. It's foundations, components, and patterns. Um, well, components and patterns is very similar to what I have. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he has foundations. I wonder what they are. So um, I came across the term foundations a few times in my research. Its use case was a little different every time. But as mentioned in the previous chapter, I thought it was a great analogy for how to approach system design. In construction, foundations are crucial to the building's stability, yeah, quality yeah, and longevity. Yeah. And the same applies to building digital products. Anyway, so to cut back for all that. So what we I just then... wonder what the, uh, you know, I could, I, I can understand what a component is, and I'm really hoping that his definition of a component is the same as my definition of a component and the same as other people too, because the other reason I'm looking at this at the minute as well is, well, have found, you heard of so, company Zero Height? No. So I was talking to them yesterday and they're doing documentation of design systems. And if you look at this picture here, components, it says, I love toggle sorry i love the fact right okay yeah yeah no okay and we're going to come back to this design system and this, these things you're talking about yeah um i love the fact that on all those websites that, go back to share that screen again all right sorry this sorry. cracks me up uh like this one yeah on okay on every website like this it always says trusted by world's leading organization and it has the same it's the same companies. Yeah. <laughs> it's like used by the Guardian, Red Bull, Adobe. Yeah. Every website you go to, yeah. used yeah, by like so this, like, and also it's on like those to like Slack or whatever. Those types of yeah, they can't. They like are they <laughs> using all of them? <laughs> it cracks oh, me up. It's like oh my word, they can't be using. But, all but of what them. I was what I was saying there was that when I saw this yesterday, when I was talking to um, Luke Murphy, no relation, who is their evangelist um because i was thinking where does this fit with the book right um and you know when i saw the components and saw button toggle text input you know these small things i thought great that's how i'm calling components good job and i'm wondering how andrew calls his components the uh, then yeah, I could the tell other you. thing is that the patterns right i wonder is he using it the same way as me like components make are part of patterns and patterns are used to solve components problems. example is like a text input so they are smaller building they are the smaller input. building blocks of the digital product yeah yeah components so are distinctive thing. user interface elements that are used repeatedly throughout the product yeah. for and example buttons form input selects text areas radio buttons what's um, a pattern a pattern is larger building blocks of a digital product yeah. For example, a card pattern may feature yes. a header description. Yeah. Examples include navigation footer, modals, alerts. Yeah. yeah notifications. Yeah, yeah. Blah, blah, That's blah. what I've said. These patterns include familiar design patterns, including cards popularized by Google's yeah. material design principles. And then he goes and layers on top of that templates and pages. It's mm, interesting. So template is a consistent So he has templates between... Uh, mine goes patterns straight into pages, uh, but th but that is a, a logical thing to put templates in there because you can use templates in a sense are patterns on steroids. They're the whole page, right? But yeah. my so concern is if I go like times this, you know, and if I go objects, components, patterns, templates, pages, flows, the whole thing starts to get quite complicated. Yeah, so I mean, he talks about templates as like an article or a blog post, yeah, whereas yeah, a page yeah. is the final the final system thing. that people would yeah. see yeah and i think actually if you look at my diagram where the page goes into flows it kind of makes sense you know 
um, you know, you have a flow through stuff made up of separate pages. The other thing that makes things a little bit more complicated as well is that when you start to think about a flow, right? A flow might, uh, I'm gonna stop sharing here. A flow might go from this page to this page, two separate things. But a flow might also go from this page to you click a button and something appears on that page. So that's no longer a separate page. That's a state or do you know what I mean? Yeah. This is all stuff that needs to be taught to people. And honestly, I think, you know, I mean, I'm hopeful that when I finish this, uh, this course and I run it, what, maybe twice a year, possibly, because it's quite in in depth um, that it'll get that people will pay for it because I think it's a solid foundation of learning but I also think the other thing that I got feedback on last week which was great from a couple of people was that I I started to think well maybe my Bauhaus stuff you know my point line plane and this real kind of rigor maybe that's too much maybe people just want to get straight into making buttons but the feedback I got from some designers who are super talented were like, no, 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 no. That's great that you have that because most other people just go straight into there and they don't really talk about the fundamentals of communication. Yeah, I think that's right. I think you need that thing in there. The other thing that, so I think the thing that, so to come back to the design token thing, yeah, I think what's happening here is that, it's, I mean, it feels a bit sad sometimes. It's almost like the people who are working in digital product design are catching up or haven't or seem to have forgotten the history of design. Yeah, and, yeah. And you're like, well, hang on a minute. All these things existed. So they went, oh, we need systems. I mean, brand guidelines. So they do yeah. that thing. and But they build it in a way that's pretty much a replica of what it would have been, the book that you got off the shelf, that you pick the NASA color for your red you know, space yeah. shuttle, and you'd yeah. go and you phone the guy and say, hey, we need Pantone 328 red to paint our shuttle, right? And that would come out and Pantone would make sure it's the right color, etc. Yeah. right? But obviously, in, it sounds like these, what the design tokens is trying to solve is the fact that what you want is these values to stay the same. Yeah. And so there's suddenly someone has gone, hang on a minute, we've got a digital system here that can store this information. So we don't need someone phoning, AKA using the color picker to choose yeah. things for the Pantone color. And for whatever reason, it's being changed a bit, which is yeah. even weirder. Um, mm. And these tokens then. Well, I can see that. I can see that happening. The, the, um, the, the color thing, because it, it, we've gone through various phases of design where we've had skeuomorphic design. We've had flat design. We've now got this neuromorphic thing going on. Oh, yeah. Can't stand. Um, and, you know, unless you have a big, massive button that's like, you know, my favorite style of button, call to action button is fucking massive and you can't miss it. <laughs> and it's just one strip of color, uh, you know, and you click that eyedropper, you can't get that wrong. But, you know, if you've got any kind of gradient there or anything, immediately you've introduced variability. But I agree with you because look, looking at this, you know, and maybe I should just have got down to doing the work quicker. But I mean, I ended up reading not all of Christopher Alexander's uh, book. Um, uh, what's, what's it called? The Pattern Language or, you know. But I mean, I mentioned all of that in here because, I mean, it 100% like here it's called a pattern language, towns, buildings, constructions. Um, and it's a really good book. And if you read it, you're like, whoa, this is where, this is where it all came from. 
you know, and it's you can see why he was kind of heralded as in the I think the seventies and eighties as a you know really really interesting thinker, um, and I think it's also interesting too a point that I've made here, you know, the title is a pattern language, you know, it's not the pattern language, it's like just one, right? It's just one of potentially many. Um, you know, and, but you're right, you know, there's all of this stuff has already gone before. And really one of the things as digital product designers, some of us are guilty of is coming along and saying, Hey, I've discovered this new thing. And you and I are sitting there thinking, good God, this new thing was around like in the seventies, you know, and that, that does tend to happen, you know, because yeah. memory's short. And also there is like, everybody wants to name a thing. Yes. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, that's true. That's true. You came up with atomic design and people started talking about atomic design. Um, Yeah, I've got slides where I talked about it. You're a bit stoked that way you're drumming. You know, you're a bit stoked. And, you know, Brad's work on that is, I think, really, really impressive. What he said, never mind the names that I think are confusing organism, et cetera, but, but the principle of, you know, making a small thing and making slightly bigger things out of that small thing, et cetera. I mean, what he's describing is Lego um and you know that's cool yeah yeah no 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 and, and i think we both agree that you know most you know loads of things are remixes for various reasons and it's repackaging stuff for different types of audiences or different yeah. you know, contexts and whatever yeah. and that kind of stuff which is definite you know and i think that is i think what i found a bit weird was and i did say this to a couple of people in terms of getting feedback i was like do you think i should um do you think do you think i spent too long on on this section here about the father of pattern languages. But if you look at these things, like this is four patterns for a small work group, or this is a pattern number 146 for a flexible office space, or this one I had to put in the book because it was like master and apprentice. You know, the master gets this room here. (laughs) The apprentice gets these, these, the apprentices get these two rooms here. And then the studio is, is here and, you know, when you look at that and you look at what we do in digital product design, for example, or making a game or anything, it's kind of like, it's the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. And so we can apply lessons from buildings to like stuff that's on our phone. You know, it's fascinating. Yeah. Well, I think it is fascinating because of the fact that it's this engagement with. Have you heard of pace layers? No. Oh, that's, that's the next thing we need to look at for sure. (laughs) Um, yeah, I think mean, the interesting thing with all this is, is it's that engagement with stuff, isn't it? It's in, whether it's moving through buildings or if it's moving through, because I talk a lot, I used to talk a lot about moving through interfaces. Yeah. And I think that that's, it's all that kind of stuff, isn't it? I and mean, we are, you know, and I was rereading, you know, um, designing for human scale and all that kind of stuff. And it's like, it's, it's, it's all about realizing that that's, although the screen to some degree is, feels Who like. Wrote- a, Designing for human scale? Uh, Victor Papunek. Oh, Victor Papunek. Yeah. No surprise. Um, and so, yeah. but I think some people, we, maybe we missed that. I think because the screen was a screen, there's things that got missed in terms of it like being a flat interface, but actually yeah. there's still that connection you have to have and it still can work in the same way with those principles in place, even though it's just a flat interface, you know which I think yeah. it's weird that that got in the way, but. Yeah, it's fascinating. Um... Or at least it feels like that got in the way. I mean, the funny thing I've been watching, I was just, I messaged you before, I've been, I've been watching a 
talk that I gave in 2014, at, just before I started my PhD in earnest. Oh, it's so, it's so embarrassing. Really? It's like Why? just lame. I think I've written, I've, oh. I'm writing up. I like, um, where did I put? Uh, uh, oh, yeah, I put, I'm... <laughs> I make I make I make I make this I also make the grand statement how could I make a learning management system that's for design education uh, like what a load of rubbish um uh, I think that's another problem that you've just touched on there as well so you said a learning management system that's I use that on that term is the my go-to term but hang on let me just where's the bit where I uh but but even if you look at that space, learning management system, virtual learning environment, I mean, are they different? No, same thing. I mean, this is a, another issue, right? The uh, VLE is what people would call it in the in the UK. LMS is what it's called in the US. Okay. But I, I use the term learning management system because uh, my argument in the end is that is it, the system is designed around management and administration. Which, so... And what I'm talking about here is the fact that I um, also I, I go down this route of of what I, I sort of talk about earlier. I say, yeah, looking back, this um, I talk about like re, remodeling, uh, you know, effectively the learning management system, Blackboard, etc. And I say, looking back, this was a mistake, as it seems obviously clear that a paint job on top of a system that inherits the administrative back end of the university would not go far. Yeah. The issue I have, the issue I had yet to grasp with was that from a pedagogical point of view, the structure of Blackboard, remember this is our archetypal example, provides no value. It is merely a repository of resources that at times is very hard to navigate. At times. <laughs> <laughs> well, I might change that. Uh, um, no, but the thing is with those two terms, right? Learning management system, okay? Or virtual learning environment. The VLE is problematic because, you know, not all learning is virtual, right? And you can use your learning management system to manage physical in-studio teaching as well. You know, and so this idea that we have a virtual learning environment, uh, VLE, is already kind of crazy because, you know, if you go into Blackboard to look at the resources for a module, there's a lot of stuff that's happening that's not virtual. Yeah. And I, and I agree with you on the term management as well, because we are managing, you know, like this afternoon I was talking to uh, Christian Shockley from Pathright, who is their, I don't know what his name is, learning guru or something. And I said to him, okay, chapter module two has 10 sections, you know, and I'm wondering, should module two be its own course, you know, or should it be one of the blocks in the path thing? Because I've, I've shown you Pathright's mental yeah, yeah. model cards and you expand and contract the cards yeah. and my concern is if you have a module that's got like 10 things in it and you expand it and that those also have things in them as well it could be it could get quite thorny trying to put that all into one big path yeah yeah it's funny I, yeah no i'm just i'm just because one of the biggest problems that we have with this kind of stuff and kind of bring us back to where we started this conversation is that you say students say to you or learners say to you yeah where, where do i get the blah and they they can't find the this thing right so for example the if we come back to teaching your game students uh chris buckingham's list of ob section one and section two 
right? We've run through that in week one. Um, I ran through it again yesterday and also two weeks ago. Um, and I can imagine a lot of students saying, where do we get that? Um, and the reason is not because they are stupid or lazy or whatever. It's that the interface for tools like Blackboard is incredibly confusing. And yeah. so it can be very unintuitive, like where is the stuff? Yeah, you know? I mean, I put, I, in my put here, you know, I put um, the, the seminar overall is hard to watch as the overambition and clear lack of research is evidence. But there is glimpses of what was to be revealed later in my journey. And I say, I talked about the fact that LMSs continue to use the file and folder metaphor and this passive engagement with resources was not conducive to learning and that none of the systems had embraced the medium of the web. And I say, there is also a rather clumsy application of Maslow's hierarchy of needs, which I will discuss later. I mention how I feel the student-teacher contradiction should be uh, removed and that we all learn as in a community of learners and that perhaps tools could unlock this community and I do mention the idea of real-time tools and there are some discussions about real-time I haven't finished editing this so you can see it's quite clunky but uh -huh. um, and, and then, I, then I've got to go at this point then I'm going to diverge and talk about the one tool that I happen to use in 2014 which was etherpad which is a, a collaborative real-time editor which yeah, then linked to that before yeah yeah which then I'm, i haven't fleshed this bit out but basically at this point i'm going to really diverge because i'm going to go back to ingelbert's mother of all demos and nls system which showcases a real-time editor which was his attempt to sort of bring about vanderbush's memex ideas about augmenting people but i don't make any of these connections at this point obviously i only make them much later on later yeah um, but it's so funny because i say like i say in i say in 2014 i used etherpad in the workshop for a daily publication for the internet of device things device called the little printer um and i just say there was a number of things i did not pick up from this either mm. in the workshop or the talk however i will come back to etherpad in more detail and sh uh, in a subsequent chapter and reveal its true influence. So it's, yeah, I mean, I just, it's kind of been funny because I was like, wow, like I started this thing thinking I'm going to, and I mentioned it earlier about the like loads of design students and UX students want to redesign Blackboard. And that's what I thought. And I sort of moved through that. And it's like, there's this like, there's no point. And you talked about the file or folder mental model right um and it, that that's not in your tool no but there's no files or folders no, no i talk about and later on in another talk which i'm going to review a bit later not today yeah. obviously i talk about it being a digital loft <laughs> and and the so basically like blackboard etc like because like like who wants to go who wants to go in the loft like really seriously no one no one wants to go in the loft you can't yeah. find anything in there like it's a nightmare like unless you're some like really loft organized here, which yeah. is like a loft. We can't really get into our yeah. loft, but we've got this room through that wall there that's full of stuff. Um, and I actually quite enjoy going in there because I found bits of my past. Yeah, but it's yeah. random, isn't it? If I tasked you with like doing a project and I told you the information is in the loft, like yeah. <laughs> you find it. And by the way, the deadline is next week. You'd be like, yeah. "What?" That's and that's what it's like. Which is what you've yeah. just said. We task yeah. students, our learners, we're doing these things, 
and then we we say oh, it's in the loft <laughs> and you've got yeah, to... but that, that's the problem right and you know and then we then we go like this what the hell when the students don't know where to find stuff yeah and <laughs> i and and the and so the funny thing is and i know is that and i talk about this is that the way that that's often resolved is a, is training <clears throat> so you give staff training and say okay organize blackboard in this way because yeah then students will know how to navigate it. And so long as everyone organises in that way, maybe by the time they get to the third year, they might navigate it. But I tell you, well, this is the other thing that crack you up, and then I'll finish talking about it because it's way too much detail. But um, yeah, I, I got a mess. One Go thing, on. One thing, Go on. In addition to the training, I think the other thing that we do with tools like Blackboard is we think, well, if we, if we put more than one copy of that thing in there, so we might put the, you know, Chris Buckingham's outline in week one, but we'll also put it in week four as discussed today. And then week seven as ran through earlier with the example, you know, and so what ends up happening is what we're doing is we're adding more stuff to the loft. In some cases, duplications of stuff. And it's like utterly pointless. Yeah. You know, and the, and, tell you, and this what is we're doing would be yeah. always linking back to that thing. Um, but yeah. even tools like Blackboard make that quite difficult. You know, the mental, model of how to do that right you know go back to week one click on this then resources then find you know and you start to think well how would i link to that in week seven and you think god i, I don't even know how so i'll just put it in there again yeah yeah Imagine exactly. if somebody was continually delivering the same newspaper over and over again to your loft it was the exact same paper and they were just going there you go and they were just putting it in there and that's kind of a little bit like what my mum's dining room looks like like many years ago and I shudder to think what it's like now but many years ago before pandemic and all this stuff we went to visit them and we're never allowed to go because it's always a mess and I tried to get into the dining room and I had to sort of push the door open and when I got in Adam, there was piles of newspaper like everywhere. And I said to my mum, like, mum, why, why are you keeping all these newspapers? She went, I haven't read those yet. And I was like, mum, but it's the news. I mean, you know, it goes oh, out of date, you know, and sure, there might be something interesting in that magazine. Um, you know, I mean, imagine if you had this newspaper person who delivered the same paper over and over again. All you're doing is exacerbating the problem. And the be- I tell you, there's two other things, and then I'll I, that semi connection, and then I'll think I'm done because my brain is exploding. But, um, so the other thing that cracks me up, right, I got an email or a message uh, basically saying, uh, student X, uh, can you confirm that student X is actually like attending because we've noticed that they have not, they are not accessing Blackboard? I was just like, oh my word, that like, if you think that accessing Blackboard is a metric of whether they're an engaged yeah. student, I have to, and I had to literally write back and say, yeah, they're great seeing them all the time. Like, yeah. but they're not using Blackboard because I sent them in the loft at the beginning. They pulled out what they needed, and I said, "Don't ever go back in that loft because you don't need anything else <laughs> because it's not there." And I tell you what, the other thing talking about mothers and and stuff, my and papers, and my mother-in-law, like that's exactly like it's not newspapers though, but she has like little desks all around her that are just piles of like papers of like either either the daily mail which is terrible when i'm trying to burn it as i walk by or it's like little weird catalogs and stuff so now i've taken to intercepting all of the mail and working out how i unsubscribe because i'm like why do we need like 12 like these catalogs are probably out of date you know it's it's so funny i'm like oh yeah so i watch out honestly i mean i mean i've got really interesting stuff surrounding me in piles but watch out, Chris! It's coming. We're gonna have a moment. We're gonna have a moment where we have piles of stuff around us that mean nothing. <laughs> yeah, 
<laughs> I'm going to send you a link to something that's on Pathright because I looked for LMS and Pathright. Um, and it's written by Paul. The, the Pathright's run by two brothers, Paul and Mark Johnson. And I've only ever spoken to Paul. This is the first time I've seen Mark. So he's written Content Marketing is Not Teaching, which is great. I'm looking forward to reading this. Uh, but he says, you know, great online teachers build a path of small steps to reach big goals. Okay, that's number one. Okay, design practical projects and exercises. So it's not enough just to watch a video. Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. You have to yeah. do some practical project yeah. or exercise to enact. Yeah, project-based learning is still. Yeah, and then three, communicate the cost. Um, effective teachers calculate what their course costs for students in terms of time and money. So it's not just the cost for you, but it's also the, the, the time commitment, right? Uh, they give accountability and motivation and they encourage discussion and collaboration. The more I look at Pathright, the more I think I wish I'd started putting my stuff onto here ages ago. Um, Cause it's, it's what, it, what it is doing. I've chatted to a few people in the School of Design Slack um what it is doing is uh i'm just gonna go back to i think it's a similar i mean i think it's a similar model to future learns slightly different interface but it's this idea of chunking stuff up across uh whether it's weeks or whether it's sections in a way yeah. that you can kind of move through it you know in quite a nice way which is which is good but obviously again with future learning i suspect well whoever's designing the path bright stuff if you're thinking about those activities Obviously, future learning is a MOOC, so the type of activities are different mm -hmm. uh, because you're in trying to engage like 10,000 people. So you have different yeah. type of activities that enrich. So the feedback I got talking to a designer in the States on Friday or Saturday, I can't remember what day it was, um, who said, oh, this looks really interesting. He'd be interested in doing the course. Um, his feedback was one that the point line plane stuff he thought was really good. Yeah rigor of it he actually used the word rigor which was great and the second thing was the small cohort yeah. you know i said look 24 is the limit i don't want to teach more than 24 people and you know mentoring people is part of the deal part of the package and i think that people who people who are teaching online and who see mentoring as an extra thing you have to pay for generally to me are they're primarily interested in making money and less interested in teaching, um, you know. And the other thing I find a bit weird is that some of the courses, cohort-based courses that we've uncovered in the travels and research, you know, they're talking about a cohort-based course with like 150 people. And I'm thinking that's going to be problematic for a number of reasons. I mean, I haven't got a problem with that. If you have 150 people doing a cohort-based course, let's take 140 because it's easier right and you have seven mentors who are all at the same level mentoring 20 people each then potentially that will work the problem is that a lot of people want to meet the person who's written the course but they never get to meet that person because that person's busy selling yeah and, the th and i was just i was just quickly checking something but i think like so i'm um... So you, have you, you've heard of Dunbar's number, yeah? Yes, yeah. yeah. So Dunbar's number is this cognitive limit of the number of people you can maintain the social relationships with. That, yeah. that limit, that cognitive limit of the maximum amount of people you can maintain a social contact with is 150 people. Yeah. So, so if that's the, the maximum. Yeah. Imagine if you're learning and you want it, like you don't want 150 people 
Because you're so not going to be able to maintain that. The number of people who are members of the School of Design, which I have not really been selling very much, um, is 150 maximum. Yeah. Um, but that's different to the courses. I mean, the courses are a different thing, you know. Um, excuse me. Um, in that, you know, to me, if you're going to learn user interface design, you want to feel part of a cohort. You want to feel part of a group of people who are learning at the same time. And you do want to have some sort of buddy system or even like groups of three. I actually think three might be better than two. And if you could get 24 people, which is eight groups of three, um, and I think threes is maybe better than twos because let's say we were paired up and you never show up. That's going to be a problem for the person who's paired with that person. So, you know, if you've got, let's say, mini groups of three, like a micro accountability groups where they hold each other accountable, help each other, etc. I think that all of these things work with 24 people. Once you start to go above that number, I just, I just don't see it. And some of the most popular cohort-based courses, and a lot of these people are the ones who are saying, do you know what's new? This thing called cohort-based courses. And we're like, what? You know, um, are these famous people who have found education and realized that you can teach on the web and make a lot of money doing it. Um, and they're singing the praises of cohort-based courses, but their actual actions in terms of the number of people that they're teaching do not quite marry up. I also, I also fun. I don't, I, I mean, I haven't thought about this too much, but I don't think you can make a lot of money from it. I think there's, there is, if, do you really, I yeah. had, no, I think, no, there, there, it's a bubble. It's a bubble. Who was on David Perel's course. It's a bub Honestly, I think it's, no, but it's a bubble. I think that they've got these, these few people or whatever have got like huge chunks of VC money to do something. No, I don't think David Perel's got VC money and I don't think Tiago Forte has either. And I think both of them have good courses. Well, they sound interesting to me, Rite of Passage and Building a Second Brain that are popular for sure. And I think if you're selling 150 places um, at $3,000 or whatever, you're talking about 450 grand. But do you think they're doing that? Are they selling all those places out? Uh, yeah, I, I do think that. Based on a conversation I had with somebody the other day who had taken Building a Second Brain and Rite of Passage. This person had done both of the courses. Um, they're retired, but they're quite young and retired. And they're also living in an economy that I don't really want to say too much because I don't want to sure. say who the no, no, yeah, yeah. Uh, but they're living in an economy where, you know, their cost of living is considerably less than, say, uh, the UK. So the ability to retire earlier is, you know, is... Yeah, is yeah. I guess then I would... And this person had done both those courses and in one case had paid the extra money to have the mentoring. I can't remember if it was with David Perel or Tiago Forte. And he said it wasn't that great. And yeah, they... I think... Uh, yeah, I mean, I this is quite complex, I think, but it's like, it's what is the value? What's the value of that? I don't see this goes back to this thing about teaching versus educating for me. He, yeah. he, this person may well have been taught what it means to do a second brain system, but he did them both, he did both the courses, yeah, yeah. But like, what, what value, what value has the world gained from that at this point? I don't know, you know. I think value is more for him uh, at 
actually. I, you know, I don't know. Uh, I mean, building a second brain from what I understand of it is, is something that's going to help you um, be more like a better thinker and, and better just, able to make it's systemizing your knowledge it's systemizing knowledge work effectively using linking and whatever and it's all the jazz at the moment because it's all back to the engelbelt nls stuff and the ted nelson stuff it's the same stuff um and i'm building a what you know a tool for thought um What's the Engelbart thing you talked about? Engelbart what? NLS, the online system. It's the it's what he shows off in the mother of all demos. Okay, um, so Engelbart NLS. I need to watch that. And what does NLS stand for? It's online system. Online system. I think it is. It was just, oh, a, is it just a few word, letters from the middle of online system. Yeah, I think so. If I remember rightly. Okay. Um, I must go and take a look. Yeah, I don't, I'm, I'm, yeah I, I'd be nervous to unpack this at this point because I think I'd get it yeah, very wrong. 100%. But I've, when I've been looking and thinking about these things for a long time in connected ways, I think that there is... Okay, so it's on. The N is from on. The L is from line. And the S is from system. Yeah. So we, we probably would call it OS now. Um, <laughs> online system. And then it would be like operating system. So NLS or the online system was a revolutionary computer collaboration system developed in the 60s. Wow. I'm going to watch yeah. this. Oh, mother of all demos. Yeah, that's the Very one. Cool. He shows it like the mouse, the, everything, the keyboard, it's all there. Um, and this is from 1968. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's all in that. Basically, the web, everything's in that demo. But he, okay. but then Vanderbar Bush talked about the web and whatever in 1946. You know, it's yeah. like Memex. Yeah, and Memex yeah. and whatever. So this is an this is an attempt at yeah, that. We were I'm working a... on a project in Little Thunder, and I used the name Memex for it um, as a you know as an inside joke. But Tim and Gabe didn't know what I was talking about. They were like, <laughs> I, don't know if "I really like Memex," and I was like, "Oh no, it's just a joke. It was about Vannevar Bush." And they were like, "Who's he?" And I was like, oh, "Don't worry about." <laughs> no, like, exactly. But I so there's definitely. I mean, happily, I was like, "All right." <laughs> You know. Yeah, it's just intro. I guess it's. Uh, yeah, I don't. I'm gonna watch this later. Mother of all demos. Oh, it's Doug good. It's lot. It's long, but it's good. It's good. It was. And it was. Well, good. this part one is only half an hour, I think. So. Yeah, it's good. I mean, um... I, 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 do, I don't agree with your um, your assessment of the money thing. I do okay. think you can make money with it. I, I know, having talked to this particular person, that they had signed up and done both of these courses. And I think that they had found some use out of both of them, Yeah, yeah. Uh, but they had been very disappointed in both cases at the lack of, of time uh, invested by the person who had made the course. Um, you know, so it will be like doing BBUIs and you're expecting to get some one-on-one time with me. And I've subcontracted that work to Ross, my son. Um, and you're thinking, do we get a session with Chris? And Ross is going like, no, you don't. <laughs> and the other thing that person said as well, I think was interesting too, was there was like, this is the price you pay for the course. And then you can pay this extra price to have the one-to-one time with the famous person. Mm-hmm. And I said, okay, what was the extra one-to-one, you know, famous person stuff like? And the person in question was really interested in that, you know, and they really were totally engaged the other people who had paid for that, they hadn't paid for it. They, their work had paid for it. Okay, yeah. And they didn't really actually give a shit. 
they were kind of like some of them showed up some of them didn't show up you know and so like for example you were going to get a session with Doug Engelbart and nobody showed up except for you everyone was like well, it, I I've been loving it I was paying for it like why would I go and you're thinking so weird no yeah. um, and so that whole thing colored the experience as well because you know if you think this is going to be an amazing opportunity to have a really interesting conversation with someone who you think is really interesting and they they show up and there's only one other person there that that already changes the dynamic of everything yeah you know so interesting i mean yeah i mean i'm doing this reset course uh by jocelyn i can't remember her surname off the top of my head jocelyn really, yeah that's it who does the hurry slowly podcast yeah, so I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm on that. Does that cost money? Um, couple hundred quid. How much? Two or three hundred pounds for a week Did course. Work paid for it, or yeah, yeah, work paid for it. Um, and it's a series of videos. So I, you know, I'm going. I knew what I was getting. In the... Get to meet her, or no, not as far as I know. Um, but I just wanted the content. And there's some there's some things you have to do. There's some what she calls rituals, and it's very good. And you know, uh, and it's really interesting. And I would say none of it's like I'm not. It's none of it's like I've never heard that before. But it's great ways of packaging things up, and it makes a lot of sense. But I tell you what, we've there's like um, we're in accountability groups. I think that's what we're called. Yeah, and that's there's what like six of us or whatever in mm-hmm. the, in our group. And there is a where there is an online community thing we can use as well, where you can actually talk to more than that group. I have not really engaged with that, but like, so we just have a, so we have a zoom once a week. How many people are doing the course? I have no idea. Don't know. Oh, Um, I mean, I might be able to figure it out, but I don't know. I'm guessing. Oh, I suppose because it's a video, you're watching videos. Yeah. Yeah. So so it it could be hundreds of people. It could be. And then we're just split into lots of accountability groups, perhaps. Yeah. I don't think there's that many. I don't think it's like tons of people. Um, but I tell you what, on the accountability group's been great. Everyone turns up on the Zoom. Yeah. Like, it's really good. And the thing is, that makes it worth, for me, like, I get to keep the material for life. So I'm going to review it over the holidays. I'm going to make some... I made a mistake, actually, which I'm annoyed about, was that on one of her first videos, she talks about the fact that... um, I don't know why I listened to this bit. talks about the fact of, of, like... Oh, you don't need to make notes because I've got like notes and whatever and just absorb yourself in the video, you know. And I was like, oh, OK, I, why did I even think that that was a good idea? Like taking notes is so important. Yeah. So course. and I was kind of thinking there might be extensive notes, but there isn't. There's things to do and there's stuff. But I haven't found I haven't found the notes. I mean, I'm not like maybe I'm but I was like, so I'm going to start again, I think, and just take my own notes. About what, right. You could you could do it again. Yeah, yeah that's no exactly. That's what I'm going to do because so, I really like the stuff and I'm going to do it again. Stop, I want to show one thing to you, and I think I might change the day because um, I'm just looking at the content of that. And this is what I've been wrestling with at the minute. So if I open up my Notion, and Kara was like, "Why are you doing this? You should be 100% focused on BBUIs." But I'm doing this because it's teaching me a ton. Did I show you this idea factories? Uh, yeah, I think you started talking about it the other day. So it is unlocking the power of innovation through reading and writing. Actually, I'm thinking of changing it to harnessing the power of personal knowledge management systems. 
it's a five week course and it's going to be the first thing I do in Pathright um, because I rather than do the first course as BBUIs, which is huge. There's so much work in, in BBUIs. I thought I would do this as the first course so that I could get a feel for how it works and what works and what doesn't work with this. Um, and the first week is designing a mind, um, which is like context. And it's like, you know, it's a bit about James Webb Young um, technique for producing ideas. It's about like how I, where ideas come from. Um, and do you, have you heard about the kaleidoscope and the technique for producing ideas? I don't, uh, don't know. Maybe. Uh, if you have a kaleidoscope some... and yeah. you put one blue chip in it, you know, you can't really make much with it. But if you put two colored things in it and you move your kaleidoscope, you can make more. So the more you put into the kaleidoscope, the richer the potential outcomes can be. Oh, OK. That's a good way. I've not heard of it explained that it's way. It's a really, yeah. really good metaphor. Yeah, and yeah. so that's what this module is about. It's about that. You know, the more you put into the brain, the more potential outcomes can come out of it. Yes, the yes, second, which is experiential module, learning, basically. Yeah, the second module is priming the brain. Um, and that's very much like in, informed by um, this book, How to Read a Book by Mortimer Adler and uh, Charles Van Doren. It's really, really good. So that's about like how to improve your reading, how to improve the quality of your reading. And note-taking is a really important part of that, right? And then the third chapter is the board from White's perspective, which I think is causing problems with racism at the minute because I said when my dad was black, um, he would look at the board from White's perspective. And everybody, when they heard me say that, said, you can't say your dad's black. And I was like, well, I mean, he's playing black when he's playing chess. Uh, but oh, anyway, okay. that, that's about looking at things from different perspectives, right? Yeah, so that's the six thinking hats and whatever, yeah, yeah. Yes, six thinking hats is part of it, but also, you know, arguing with the author as you read. Like, I don't agree with the author. Not, you maybe do agree with the author, but take the contrary stance to see how, where does that lead you? And then the fourth module is like, right, 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 get some stuff out there. And the fifth module is what, uh, this name is made up i'm going to change it it's called architecting a garden for the long now it's about building a system that will last you for your life um and that's looking a little bit at things like obsidian and rome and network note-taking tools and oh, i sent you the other one didn't i that plugs into vs code i don't know if you did but this is going to be the next school of design course um and i'm going to be using it hopefully to promote like you know membership of the school um so that if you pay your the membership you get access to it as part of your membership um and yeah i'm thinking of changing the day from a thursday to another day um i don't know i'm, I'm in two minds about it it might be of interest to you yeah yeah no it is but you might not want to do a course taught by me because we know each other. But I just, I think it will give me a chance to explore Pathright and it will give me a chance to, to try, you know, how does that work from a course perspective? What I was saying to Ben Seymour in the group and Al Power and a few other people who are in the group, um, my teaching is quite ad hoc um, in that, you know, we're going to cover some stuff and, you know, there's, there's not much directed reading or, you know, I don't say you've got to go and read this yeah. uh, or I suggest you go and do this exercise or I think you should go and do this quiz. 
And I think that one of the things I've learned in the last year is that's missing. That really is critical for, for learning. Yeah. And I haven't been doing a very good job at it. Whilst, yes, you can show up on a Thursday night and learn some stuff from me. That's a okay. But what I'd really like to do is say at the end of this five weeks, here's what you will have achieved. Yeah, you know, yeah. you will have, um, you will become a better reader. You'll become a better thinker. Your ability to connect ideas and concepts together will have massively improved. And as a consequence, you will become better at innovation and creativity and things like that. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, and, and I think that using Pathright for this will be better than what I've been doing up to now, which is using Notion. Yeah. You know, you go into Notion and then you click a page and you, you know, with Pathright, you either start a thing and mark it as finished yeah. or you don't you know um whereas with this with with notion the problem is you can get a bit lost in there yeah totally with path right you know you start a thing and you finish a thing and when you finish the thing you go to the next thing yeah. and that for me that would be a new approach you know yeah and that's not, what that that's what that reset course does same thing yeah i'm sort of looking at that and i'm thinking actually the way that she's written it where she's got like you know reset 10 is this and reset 11 is this and i actually think that if i um show you my um so this module here i've got lots in the priming the brain um you know the first section is the eminent dead which is like making friends with someone who's dead um charlie munger talks about that then how to read a book is the next section and then how to talk about books you haven't read uh, and then building a reading pipeline. And then some of these things actually are going to be moved like Zettelkasten and mental models will go into the final chapter. Sure. I'm aiming that each of these modules has about five things. Cool. So you're doing a total of about 25 things over the course of five weeks kind of thing. Yeah. It's an idea. I'd, I'd love to get your feedback at some point. Yeah. yeah, I think, yeah, I have to think about the numbers of things I'm doing on this reset and what that and like. Yeah, you, you don't have to. I mean, I'm thinking what I'm trying to think is that, you know, BBUIs I would run twice a year. And then this, I would run this like once a year or something. And I would run my branding course once a year, you know. Um, and I'm trying to, instead of kind of showing up on a Thursday night and just riffing, yeah, yeah. what I'm to do and i also posted i think this morning to the slack to say there's nothing happening on thursday night you know this is our next thing and yeah. and i think that's a better decision it's been quite difficult for me to, to to do that because everyone's got used to thursday evenings we show up at seven sure and i'm thinking yeah i'd rather that we showed up every month or so to do something solid and structured yeah than just rocking up every thursday because I don't think we're going to, you know, my aim is that we achieve some stuff, you know. Yes. That was an interesting conversation. Um, yeah. Just put it on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Where the heck's the stop button? <laughs>